Oh, Jesus, would you allow us to see the nature of our hearts the way they truly are, as unclean, unfit for fellowship, as something in need of cleansing that we are powerless to bring about. And yet, Jesus, there is such good news for us in your word today because it shows us that you can help us, that you can heal us even in our sin-sick hearts. Would we come before you with full faith to receive what our hearts so desperately need? We pray this thing in your mighty name. Amen. <clears throat> 11 days ago, a man by the name of Donald Pinkle died at the age of 95. He was a very important man. You should be very thankful for him. Donald was a researcher in the area of cancer, specifically for children. Uh, that meant early in, early in his career, Donald had an extremely difficult job. Uh, at that time, the most common type of cancer, acute lymphatic, uh, lymphotic uh, lymphoma, uh, leukemia, um, was extremely de deadly. 94% of the cases resulted in death, which meant that Dr. Pinkle had the job of telling desperate parents, I'm sorry, but there's nothing I can do for you. I can't help. He gave an interview to Smithsonian Magazine where he described that period of his med medical career. And he said after he would tell parents that bad news, he would go back into his office by himself and cry his eyes out. It's a terrible thing to desire to help and yet be powerless to actually help. Uh, as bad as that was for Dr. Pinkle, it was even worse for the desperate parents and the sick children that came to him. We need someone who is both willing and able to help us when we are in the mo most danger, don't we? Well, that's true for your physical body, the need for doctors and medicine. It's even more true for your spiritual self. Where will you turn in the sickness of your heart when you realize that the infection has gone so deep that there's no hope that you could possibly fight it off yourself? Where can you find someone that could give you a total cure who is both willing and able to help you? Well, Dr. Luke has a good word for you this morning, for all of us, because he gives us two stories which show Jesus healing sick people in some way, making them whole, which show us that Jesus is both willing and able to heal our sin-sick hearts. Uh, that's what we'll see in two sections this morning. Two different miracles Jesus does. Uh, the first in verses 11 through 16, we'll see that Jesus is willing to cleanse. Jesus is willing to cleanse. And then in 17 through 26, we'll see that Jesus has the power to forgive. Jesus has the power to forgive. And all this, I hope you'll be convinced that Jesus is both willing and able to help your sin-sick heart, even to heal it and make it whole. Uh, let's begin in that first section, 12 through 16, Jesus' willingness to cleanse. Uh, we're told that Jesus is in a city. Luke doesn't bother to tell us which one, just one of the many cities in Galilee. And while he's there, he's approached by an unlikely someone. We're told it's a man full of leprosy. 
Dr. Luke knows the technical term for this. He makes sure that we know that it's not just one little area of his body that's affected. He is head to toe full of this dangerous, incurable disease. Now, in the ancient world, leprosy was a catch-all for various skin diseases, including what we call leprosy today, Hansen's disease. But regardless of which variant it was, the prognosis was basically the same. Even if someone wanted to help, they couldn't. There was no amount of medicine, no amount of mercy that could make someone infected with leprosy whole. And in fact, their lot was to have a life of suffering, so much so that one commentator called them effectively the walking dead. Uh, There was at least three levels at which they would suffer. Uh, First would be the physical. That would be the most obvious. Lesions on the body. In cases like this man, maybe even beginning to lose fingers and noses and the ability to do basic things. Uh, Coupled with that were social suffering. Uh, There was, in fact, a a system that God had given his people to be able to determine who is leprous and what to do with them. Uh, If you know your Old Testament well, you might know that entire chapters of Leviticus are dedicated to it. I'm just going to read you a very short uh, section of it. This is Leviticus 13, verse 45. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. And he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Uh, The priest had the job of breaking the bad news. I'm sorry, you have leprosy. And there's nothing I can do about it. There's no provision in Leviticus for how a priest was to heal you. All he could do was tell you what God required. You were to be cut off from all of your social networks. Everyone you knew and love, at arm's length, socially distanced forever. No more handshakes, no more hugs, no more sitting in someone's living room and just enjoying the evening. All of it gone. Uh, match with this was the requirement when you did go out in public that you would have to announce your uncleanness to everyone so they would stay far away and not catch the infection both physically and spiritually from you. And, and that revealed the, the third and final area of suffering was spiritual. Uh, they were ritually unclean. They could not go to the temple. They couldn't draw near to God. They couldn't offer, offer sacrifices or hear the prayers or be sprinkled with the blood. Uh, To be a leper was to be the walking dead. What a horrible, horrible uh, way to have to go through life. Well, that's the sort of man that walks up to Jesus. And this is where it gets really interesting. Instead of keeping his distance, the leper falls at Jesus' feet. And he starts crying out, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Already we see a sort of faith in this man. He's got enough faith to break the social norm and get close. And then enough faith, not even to necessarily doubt that Jesus could heal him, but to doubt whether Jesus had the willingness to heal him. Now, I don't know how he came to this conclusion. Maybe he'd heard of the miracles Jesus had done. Jesus has certainly healed enough people at this point to have a reputation. 
But somehow or the other, this desperate man draws close and throws himself at the mercy of Jesus. How is Jesus going to respond? Well, this is the truly shocking part, certainly to anyone watching, because instead of shrinking back, as anyone in their right mind would have done, instead, Jesus reaches out and touches the man. Now, let's be clear. Jesus did not need to touch anyone to heal them. We've had several examples in Luke's gospel of him merely speaking and causing miracles to happen. It's not as if that physical hand of Jesus allows power to transfer or something like that. No, this is a very personal touch. Uh, this is Jesus letting someone who has suffered so much know that he cares and in a moment, he'll know that he is willing to heal him. Uh, I was reading the account of someone who is doing ministry in a leper colony. And this particular missionary put his arm around the shoulder of a leper. And as soon as he did, that man started bawling his eyes out. He asked him, why are you crying? The man told him, no one has touched me in decades. And yet God sent you here. To show you that he loves me. Uh, Jesus has a very personal way of the way he heals sinners of all types. And in this case, his hand reveals his heart for the man. He reaches out and he touches him. And then he clears up any doubt of what he wants to happen. He says, I will be clean. And in that moment, everything changes. It's like a light switch goes on. And the leprosy skitters away like cockroaches. It's like an army that gets defeated in battle and retreats as fast as their horses will take them. This disease is defeated by Jesus and his tender healing touch in just a moment. And this suffering soul is made whole. Wow. Now that's surprising enough. But what Jesus does after that is really surprising. He charged him to tell no one. Uh, Jesus does like an anti-PR campaign. <laughs> uh, one day he's going to be ready to be open about who he is and why God sent him, but not yet. Uh, there's still too much chance for misunderstanding. Uh, for now, it's enough to heal this man and to make him whole. So he sends him to the priest. Uh, Leviticus also has, remember the priest can't fix you. He can't heal you but he can restore you once you have been healed. So he tells him to go to the priest, show himself, do the sacrifices, and be reintegrated into the community of faith to become whole, a part of the family of God again. At the end of this, uh, Jesus ends up more famous than he was when he started. So many people coming to be healed by him that he's got to get away from it all so he can pray to his heavenly father. What are we to take from this healing? Uh, Jesus doesn't just do healings to show off his power. It's, it's not just another example. There he is. Jesus doing it again. He's healing. What do we take from this? Well, this healing shows us that there is no sinner so unclean that they can't be purified by Jesus. Uh, there's not a single person that's ever lived in this world that has ever sinned so grievously. There's not someone that is so untouchable that they are beyond the grace of God. If they will if they'll repent and throw themselves at the feet of Jesus. 
I have to admit that as a pastor, I've noticed my own heart in the hearts of others. We have a tendency to believe that Jesus can forgive sins. Uh, we believe he forgives all sorts of sins, usually the ones that we have committed. But very often we struggle with the idea of Jesus forgiving the sorts of sins that we don't struggle with, but that others do. Uh, we have a, a category for someone that is unclean spiritually. Someone who maybe we feel uncomfortable being around. And we're not even so sure Jesus would want them to repent and be forgiven if they could. Consider, friend, do you have trouble imagining that Jesus wills to heal someone who's been a serial abuser? Who's left a trail of wreckage person after person that they have harmed. Would Jesus want that person to repent and be made whole, to be healed on the inside? Uh, would Jesus want someone to be healed even if they were a lifelong racist? Uh, would he want them to realize their error, to turn from it and find purification, cleansing on the inside of their guilty soul? Or what if we make it a very culture war type category? Uh, what if someone's been living as the opposite gender from which they've been born? They've been uh, someone living as a trans person. Would Jesus, would he want to reach out and touch them with his healing, personal forgiveness? I'll tell you a story of a guy named Walt Hare. Uh, Walt was born as a man, and he was one of the first people to go through transitioning surgery to live as a woman. Uh, he was one of the forefronts in the transgender uh, movement for a time. For eight years, he lived as a woman. Would Jesus want a person like Walt to experience his cleansing in his heart? Well, friends, the answer is yes. And praise be to God, in God's good providence, Walt had Christian friends in a good local church that kept reaching out to him and loving on him. And over time, Walt put his trust in Jesus. And eventually, Walt realized that his transition had not brought him happiness, but that Jesus could cure what ailed his heart. He actually transitioned back to living as the man that God made him. And now he runs a ministry trying to help others with the same type of sin in their heart to find wholeness in Jesus. Uh, friends, it doesn't matter who you sit next to at work or who you have come as a contractor to work on your house. No matter what sort of sin they have found themselves in, you can be sure of this. If they would draw close to Jesus, they would find he is willing to heal even the very sickness in their heart of their sin. Now, sometimes people struggle with the opposite side of this. Not, not just the, that Jesus could heal all sorts of sinners. They, they struggle to think that Jesus willingly would heal them. Uh, maybe you've been a Christian a long time. You've known the gospel since your early days. You went to Sunday school, vacation Bible school, and you know all about how Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. You know that. You believe it. And yet you find yourself struggling with a sin for decades. 
And if you're honest, there are times where you have thoughts like this, like, well, I know Jesus said that he paid for my sins, but I don't know that he's really all that happy that I got in on the deal. Oh, sure, he's thrilled when my neighbor comes to Christ, but maybe he's had second thoughts about me, but he's locked into a contract. Sorry, Jesus, no way out. And we start to think of Jesus as less than willing in his role to cleanse us on the inside in our sin-sick hearts. Um, In my experience, many Christians live with this sort of guilt and this sense that maybe Jesus doesn't really want them or love them. Uh, But friends, the, the picture of Jesus, full of mercy, reaching out to touch the most unclean in society is meant to assure us that there is not a sin in your heart, not an area of your soul that Jesus does not wish to tenderly touch you and heal you and show you his love. So maybe this week you find the strength to repent whatever sin is plaguing you and throw yourself at the feet of Jesus again, knowing the answer to that question. If you're willing, Jesus, yes, he is willing. And one day, friends, remember, as a Christian, there will be a day when there will be no more sin in your heart. Every single sin, that one you're dealing with and all the others will be totally eradicated when you stand in glory with Jesus. And on that day, you'll see that it's been him the whole time healing your heart from the inside out. Uh, Jesus stands willing to heal us. But there's another question we need to answer. It's one thing to be willing Does he have the power to heal us in the most important way? Can he really deal with our sin? Well, that's the second section this morning. The second miracle, Jesus has the power to forgive. Verses 17 through 26. Uh, Luke moves us along. This time, we find ourselves in a standing room only setting. Uh, It's a full house. People have heard Jesus is in town and they are gathering around to hear his powerful preaching. Word has gone so far that for the first time we're introduced to a set of rivals. Uh, The people who hold all the cards religiously in Jesus' day. The scribes, the teachers of the law, and the Pharisees. Uh, They've heard about this hot stuff preacher going around the Galilean countryside. And so they've sent a delegation to look into him. Let's see if he passes the theology test, whether he's one of us or against us. Uh, We're told there, while they have all the power socially, religiously in that moment, you catch it verse 17, Jesus has the power of the Lord with him to do healing, setting us up for the conflicts to come. Well, that's the setting. And then uh, there's these friends. Uh, They are a desperate lot. They have a friend who's paralyzed. It's hard enough to be paralyzed today with wheelchairs and accessibility programs to at least give you some manner to be able to help people that can't move their legs, maybe their legs and arms. But back then, it would really have been a terrible, terrible situation to be in. Uh, These friends, full of pity, bring their friend on some sort of stretcher. I don't know how far they, they came from, and I don't know how long their friend was suffering. All I know is that they knew that maybe, just maybe, Jesus could help. So they bring him on the bed, and they try to find their way through the front door, only it's too packed out. There's no way to navigate through all the people. 
You might think that that would be enough. They'd just pack up and go home. But instead, they get creative. It says that they take the bed up to the roof. Now, you could do that back then. Uh, the houses were constructed so there were, you could get up on the roof. Most people wanted to spend the evenings there once it cooled off. Kind of like sitting on your porch. You sit on your roof. And so usually there were stairs you could get up at the side of the house. So they took him up the stairs, got to the top of the roof. And then their plan comes into focus. They start taking off the roof tiles and digging their way through the roof. They could do that because the roof was made of packed dirt. So that you could just claw your way through. If you had a shovel, you could dig your way through and get into the house itself. Now, I have to imagine what the, you have to let your imagination think about what must the scene have been like inside the house? You're packed all together like sardines. You're listening to Jesus. And then you hear, someone's walking up on the roof. What's going on? And then you start seeing clumps of dirt falling down on you. What is in the world? And then suddenly, maybe you see someone's face poke through a hole. And before you know it, there's someone being dropped down on a stretcher right in front of Jesus. What a scene that must have been. But all of that is not the shocking part of the story. Now the shocking part is what Jesus does. Look in verse 20. And when he saw their faith, that is both the people who brought him and the man on the stretcher, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. Now wait a second. Uh, if I'm the guy on the stretcher, I have to be thinking, uh, Jesus, uh, I think you have misunderstood the situation here. Uh, my arms, my legs, they don't work. My friends brought me all this way. They dug this hole so that you could make my body whole. Uh, that's wonderful that you forgive, say my sins are forgiven, but that's not why I'm here. Uh, but friends, Jesus has no misunderstanding here. Uh, he knows exactly what is ailing this suffering man. And as bad as it is that his arms and his legs don't work, what's far worse is his spiritual paralysis. On the inside, his soul is completely frozen and unable to do anything to please God because his sins have made him an enemy of God. Jesus knows that. And filled with mercy, Jesus deals with the man's greatest need. He declares his sins forgiven. Now, as soon as he does that, the spiritual theology police, the Pharisees and the scribes, they immediately, their antenna goes up and they start, they start trying to figure out what in the world is Jesus doing here? Uh, they're thinking to themselves, who can forgive sins but God alone? Uh, isn't he blaspheming? Now, at a level, what they were thinking was right. The only person that can forgive is the person who is most directly sinned against. Uh, for example, let's say that someone had done some great harm to you. Let's say they crashed their car into your car and caused you to be hospitalized. And I come and I visit you and your arms and legs are in traction. You've got a neck brace on and I come to you and I say, good news, I've found the person that hit your car and caused these injuries. And I just want you to know I forgave them. I, I, I told them, I know that was wrong, but I forgive you. It's in the past. Let's move on. No problemo. Now, you'd probably be pretty upset with me, right? 
because I wasn't the one that got hit by the car. I wasn't the one that was harmed. You were. Only the one who is harmed most has the right to forgive sin. So if you draw, draw that out a bit, who is the person most offended, most harmed, whose name is most defamed with every single sin that anyone ever commits? Well, the answer, of course, is God. Every lie, every lustful thought, every stolen purse, every single bit of it offends the holy God that has made us, which means it's only God who has the right to forgive, ultimately. Uh, the Pharisees were right. No one can forgive but God alone. And if it just anyone had tried to forgive sins, they would be committing blasphemy. The law says they should die. But what if Jesus isn't just anyone? Uh, what if he is the Messiah sent from God? Uh, what if he is in fact God and man in the son of man with the very authority of God to forgive sins that he will one day pay for in his own body and blood? Uh, Jesus knows exactly what they're thinking. Even before they have articulated their objection, he decides to answer it. Verse 22, when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, said, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? Uh, Jesus' logic is simple. It's easy to say things. It's harder to do them. Uh, my son can come downstairs and tell me, Daddy, Daddy, I just rode on a flying horse. That's great, buddy. I don't believe him until I see him up in the air, right? People say all sorts of things. Talk is cheap. But the things that you can actually verify, those are much harder to fake, right? Now, at one level, it is, of course, much harder, in fact, impossible for anyone to truly forgive sins. But Jesus' point is that this you will be able to test because you'll see it with your own eyes and everyone else will also. Then in verse 24, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And he said to the man who was paralyzed, get up, pick up your bed and go home. And he did. <laughs> Those legs and arms that didn't work suddenly had strength and he stood up. He picked up that stretcher Maybe did a little jig and went on his way home. Uh, the whole house becomes an absolutely uh, pandemonium. People have never seen anything like this. They're exclaiming, we have seen something marvelous. Glory to God. And I have to think that the scribes and Pharisees are standing there in stunned silence. As Jesus has just proved, he has the ability, the power even, to forgive sins. Uh, brothers and sisters, it's such good news that there's not just someone willing to help us in our sin-sick hearts, but someone who has the power to heal us, and his name is Jesus. Uh, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, uh, I wonder if you've asked yourself the question, who needs to forgive you? Whose forgiveness do you really need? Uh, maybe you've done something that has strained a relationship in your life. You know, there's somebody who has not yet forgiven you and it gnaws at you. That's a hard enough thing. As bad as that is, the Bible tells us a much worse situation relationally 
is for you to need the forgiveness of God. Uh, The Bible tells us our sins are like an incurable disease, a terminal condition of the heart, a a stain so foul that we could never possibly clean it, and no amount of self-help or trying harder could ever fix it. It tells us we need God's forgiveness, and we're powerless to bring that about by ourselves. And without his forgiveness, we should expect nothing from God but his punishment, justice, a holy God punishing sinful people. Uh, Friend, if that's you today, that's a hard place to be. But the good news is there's someone who can help. Uh, There's someone who is both willing and able to heal your sin-sick heart, and his name is Jesus. Uh, He did that by going to give his own life up to totally purchase forgiveness for people like you and me by dying on the cross. Uh, That's why Christians make such a deep, big deal about the cross of Christ. Because we understand to be that Jesus purchasing the power to forgive our sins in his own life, in his blood that was shed. And friends, Jesus didn't just stay dead. He came back to life so that you could not just be healed of your disease, but be given a new heart. One that wants to live for God now. Uh, Friend, if you're not a Christian, this morning, you could find that peace with God and new life in your own heart if you'd throw yourself at the feet of Jesus. If you'd turn from your sins and everything else you've been trusting in and ask Jesus, if you're willing, would you heal me? Would you forgive me of my sins? Friend, that's a prayer Jesus delights to answer. And like all the rest of us that call ourselves Christians, you'll be able to say, Jesus is willing to help, and he's able to help to heal me in the inside of my heart. Now, to all of us who are Christians, I think there is a wonderful picture here for us of how we are to have the right priorities when it comes to helping others find their way to Jesus. Uh, That group of friends, I'm sure they didn't understand exactly how good the actions they were taking were. They were just doing the best they could. But we know so much better how Jesus is both willing and able to heal people on the inside, in their hearts. And consider, there's nowhere else that our unsaved friends and co-workers are going to find this forgiveness from God. They'll never stumble into some spiritual guru They can heal their sin-sick heart the way Jesus can. Uh, They'll never just little by little get over the sin that plagues them on the inside. The way you get over some sort of minor disease. Remember, you know the way to the one that can help them. And that's good news. So let's be faithful to share. To invite people to come and meet Jesus. Uh, One way you could do that coming up, Easter Sunday. Just a few weeks away. Uh, it's time of year where people who normally wouldn't come to church are more open to it. It's a, a holiday that's still enough in the cultural consciousness that sometimes you can get someone to come on Easter if they wouldn't come any other Sunday. Uh, we'll have invite cards for you next Sunday. In the meantime, you could be praying. Who can I invite? Who can I help to bring to come to the one who can tenderly touch and heal in the heart? Who can I bring to Jesus? Dr. Luke wants us to know for sure that Jesus is both willing and able to help us when no one else can. 
to heal us in our sin-sick hearts and to make us whole. Pictures of it in the body of the people he healed. But you know in your heart the testimony of how he does that work in the soul. I think the last application we need to draw from that is related to our worship. Each and every one of us that are a believer, uh, we know what it is for Jesus to so tenderly touch us and heal us inside our sin-sick hearts. Uh, we know the difference from trying to live on our own to what it is to have the grace of God helping us to forgive our sins and overcome them even in this life. Uh, brothers and sisters, would you let your heart be filled with joy? It's a terrible thing to need help and not have anyone able to give it to you. But that's never the case for you as a Christian. Jesus is both willing and able. He has the power to forgive sins. And when he started in your heart already, he will one day complete. When you're with him in glory. I told you about the hard job that Dr. Pinkle had. It's a terrible, terrible thing to have to look desperate parents in the eyes and tell them, I'm sorry. There's nothing I can do to help. Uh, that pain caused him to look very, very diligently for a cure. And we should thank God he was successful. Uh, he eventually made his way over to uh, St. Jude's Hospital and was given control over a research program. Uh, and he developed something called total therapy. Uh, the idea was you don't just use one medication or one therapy against leukemia. Instead, you throw everything you can at it all at once. People thought he was crazy. He had doctors writing him notes telling him, you're going to kill these kids. It was nothing short of a miracle when it worked. Uh, instead of 94% of the kids dying, 90-something percent of them survived. It went into remission, and the vast majority of them, the leukemia, never came back. Thousands of people alive today owe their earthly life to Dr. Pinkle. He was both willing, and thankfully, eventually, he was able to help. Uh, brothers and sisters, as good news as that is, it is nothing compared to the healing that Jesus has brought to our sin-sick hearts. He is both willing and because of the cross, he is able to help. And that means you will be whole and with him forever. Let's pray.